five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond with your host, Justin. But before we get started, how was your geek week? And co-hosts, Dan and Jason. You have to be willing to let the dice help you tell the story. Okay, look, this year, I'm going to stop mispronouncing words. Join us as we cover board games to war games and beyond. Welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. I am your host, Justin. Dan, welcome to the show, buddy. Well, hi. It's great to be here. How are you doing, Justin? I'm doing I'm doing great. I'm doing great. We're missing our third amigo with oh, us. Oh, no. But he is in Arizona probably eating delicious Mexican food right now. Uh, so yeah, I don't feel so bad. Yeah. I, I've, got, uh, I've, I've got sympathy heartburn for him right now. I'm feeling it. He did say it was 100 degrees, though. That kind of sucks. Yeah, uh, yeah. Ooh. I don't miss that. I'm <laughs> no. from the desert. Yeah. I don't miss it at all. Yeah, I'm from the high desert, and 100-degree days were kind of rare, mm. believe it or not. I've had you know? my share. Many, many days where you're like, oh, it's only 101. <laughs> only 101, right? Only 101. It's not that bad. It's only 101. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we've got a good show today. We're going to be talking about fudging. We're going to make fudge. We've got a recipe for you. We'll do caramel fudge, <laughs> double choc chocolate, chocolate, and white fudge. It'll be lovely. Fun story. When I was a Boy Scout, I had to fundraise for like camp, and we <laughs> made so much freaking fudge. Oh, my god! Like It was unbelievable the amount of fudge we made, and to the point where it's like, in the beginning, you're like, oh, we'll just eat a little nibble here or there. <laughs> By the end, we're just like, there's no more fudge allowed in this house. Like <laughs> there's something wrong with fudge there's something wrong when you go to a store like a little boutique store and they have a gigantic hunk of it and they just cut you off a little sliver and sell you that for five bucks yeah you know you're in dangerous territory you're like and look i know that this was just hershey's chocolate chips in here guys like i know because i made the fudge i made the fudge it's marshmallows and hershey's fudge like or hershey's chocolate chips so rich yes sorry but we're not talking about that kind of we're not talking no we're not we're not talking talking about about Manipulating outcomes. Yes. Oh, we got a lot to say about this. We do. We do. Oof. It'll be good. But of course, how was your geek week, Dan? So geeky. Um. All right. We played Gang Rush Breakout, which came out about five years ago, and I picked it up for a song. They're basically <laughs> paying me to take it. And it so has good. five little cars, and you're driving over this bridge, and the three of us played it, me and uh, Jay, who is our missing host, and my buddy Sean. We had a fantastic time. It was a good game. Yes, the money is little teeny tiny pieces of almost paper, and they're a little tricky to deal with, but wasn't as bad as everybody said they were, like Tom Vassell. So Tom Vassell oh. really hated the paper. No. Uh, like hated the paper money, like really bad. And if you wanted to switch it out, you could, but then your cars couldn't like sit on top of it. So uh. it actually has a function. It's not completely ridiculous. It's just kind of... You have to be thoughtful when you're dealing with teeny tiny little dollar bills, like smaller than, they're about a third of the size of your finger now. Oh, yeah, that would be small. kind of tricky. And they are kind of plasticky paper. Who uh, who made the game? 
Well, I'd have to go look at my off my on my shelf. Can I? Okay. Can, should I do that or should we keep talking? Yeah, we'll just keep talking. Right. I didn't I'll know if you knew it offhand. Oh, I'll, maybe I'll look it up in BGG while we're talking. Okay, so the 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 whole point of the game is that you five um, uh, criminals have just finished a bank robbery, and you are trying to get away with the most money. And the person who is not last off the bridge with the most money wins the game, which really did uh, change the strategy there. So let's see who's it, who who makes this. Uh, came out in 2017. Designer was Galador and Henry Pym. I wonder if that's part of the. Oh, this is a Simon. Did you just say Hank Prim? Henry Henry Pym oh. P Y M. Oh, okay. I wonder if oh. they have. That's how they got the car so small. They use PIM <laughs> particles. Exactly. Dang. Um, yeah. So uh, I got it. It was it MSRP'd for like 50-ish, 55, 60 bucks, something like that. I got it on sale for 15. And for 15, oh, wow. we had a, a huge blast. And it was great fun. So you roll the dice to see how many actions you get. And then you kind of yachts your way through doing some re-rolls. And... There's all these obstacles on the bridge. You can put down huge, like, you know, rusted containers and police. You could you could throw down cops. You can throw down barricades and caltrops and all this stuff. And it's like you put stuff down to prevent the other players from making progress in their game. Oh, that's cool. Um, so it's good. It's good. It was only three. The three of us, though, we walked away going that would be a completely different game with five cars on the on the bridge. Um, so just FYI. Now, I, if I'm not mistaken, that's a game that we want to put up on our uh, YouTube channel for yeah. review. So yeah, we now, well, now we've broken the rules through. So now, now yeah. we could do that. We could get together. We could do it. Um, we should do a five, five person game and then review it. Yeah. That'd be a lot of fun. We definitely need to play it once before we put it online. Otherwise oh, yeah. the review will be, no, what do we do here? What's going on here? What are yeah, we doing? For sure. What's this? And I don't want it. It's not like we're doing live play, but. Uh, it's so much easier to have an opinion of it after you've you, you've done all the struggling by yourself, right? With yeah. not not being recorded for posterity. Yep. Definitely. So we played that. We also played an oldie but a goodie for me: Battle Station Second Edition. I own it and I ran it, and we had a great time. We were going to do two missions, or I was going to do just an easy peasy start out mission. You know, nothing big. Two ships, one planet. You're, you have to clear out the alien uh, ship from the planetary sector. And, and then we would have done a more interesting session with more things happening. However, uh, I, as the GM kind of enemy player, started winning. And our little starter session went on all night. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, FYI, uh, if you know the game well enough, and you know how to, you know how the, all the piping is wired to uh, put things in your in your favor, then uh, you can really mess up uh, your players. So it was good. I, I finally. I usually it's like playing any like Descent or a game like that where you have one player who's the adversary. And it's kind of joyless because you're kind of designed. You're, you know, you're the bad guy, and everybody knows you're basically going to lose. Um, yeah, you know. But I did it, and uh, we had a great time, and everybody was on pins and needles, thinking they were going to die at any given moment, and that means you've done a good job running a game. Battle Stations. For those who don't know, Battle Stations is from Guerrilla Games. Um, it is written by a really great, great guy named Jeff Sidek. 
Um, and the purpose of this game, for those who are unaware, is that the game takes place on three simultaneous maps. One is the map of your starship. One is the map of the space where you're flying around, and you also have your little ship flying around in space. And then you have a third and sometimes a fourth map of the other alien ships that you can beam over to. You can put yourself on a missile and missile yourself into uh, their ship, you know, and, and board board via missile as well as beaming. And um, so you can run around the enemy ship and you can, uh, you know, shiv the engineer so they can't generate any power. You can commandeer it and, and do all kinds of things. And they can beam all over your ship and do those same tactics. Yeah. And so if you, um, if you're, if, you're not working together as a crew. It's a highly cooperative game. There's really no way to win because uh, you, if if your job is in the sequence of events and you're not, if you're not teaming up with everybody else, they will they will fail. <laughs> uh, yeah. One of the great components of that game is it always feels like there are three things you want to do, but you only have one action, and so it's always like, man, if I could do one, two, and three, everything would be fine, and everybody feels like that. So it always feels like you're only accomplishing about a third of everything you need to do every turn. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that kind of dial that, that helps the tension dial up. It's good. It's a fantastic game. It's in the second edition. It's worth every penny. And, um, uh, Jeff is a heck of a great guy, Jeff Syadek. And I met him at Gen Con and, uh, I've never played this game and not had a, had a blast. It is a little on the expensive side. I think it's, I don't know what the MSRP is. It's probably around a hundred bucks. Plus yeah. there's a, all, all, like a, a hundred page hardbound book that you can add to it to make it even cooler. That's another 60 bucks. So it's a little bit of an investment, but if you have somebody who takes one for the team and, and gets into it, it is straight up fun. I mean, like even if you've got a group of people who are willing to chip in like 15 bucks each or something like that. Right. Yeah. Because like you can play up to how many people, like 10 people, 10 players. Like yeah. yeah. It's a great, yeah. I, we've done it for couples nights. Yeah. I ran it one time with my employees yeah. <laughs> as our team building event. And like two years later, they came back and said, how come we haven't done that thing again? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Why can't we do that? I'm like, Oh, okay. We, we can do that. That'd be fine. Yeah. So that's uh, great. Yeah. It's a great my, game. Very good. My uh, last Geek Week, I know we only do two. I'm gonna, I've been painting my literal guts out. I'm working That's so on good. My, I'm so proud of you. I'm working on my um, World of Smog, Rise of Moloch minis. I've been painting mm -hmm. the core set plus the Anarchist, uh, the Arcanist expansion, which basically doubled the mini count and tripled oh, nice. the number of heroes that, you, that come in the game. There's only four heroes in the base game, and then they give you, like, if you get the Arcanist, Ar Arcanic, Arcanist box. I know I'm saying that wrong. You get like another 10 heroes and a whole couple dozen more. Oh, patties. that's awesome. So, and they're all freaky deaky. This is all like crazy evil clowns from the 1890s. You got contortionists. <laughs> nice. You got the strong man wearing, you know, those pullover, you know, under, you know, the, those, the, the, you know, the strong man. Stripy, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Stripy onesies they wear. Yep. I mean, you've got uh, Egyptian cultists. So I've used a lot of golds and copper paints. Oh, fun. And then putting a little bit of ink washes over them and to bring out all the details. Yeah. So I'm just having a ball painting these minis on a game I still haven't played yet. <laughs> I mean, welcome to the club, right? Like... <laughs> it's not like I haven't like played with this army. I've li literally not sat down and played them again. <laughs> the game. 
but you yeah. know what? It's gonna be fun though. It's it's gonna and it's gonna play way better. I did the same thing with my um cursed city box where I yeah. I pretty much painted all of them and then we sat down and played the game. And um, you know, my my cousin Lincoln, he was like, "This is so much better with painted miniatures." Yeah, you know, it's a better it, game. and it totally is. It it totally is. You know, other than having like little yellow or gray things staring at you, you know. So the funny thing is, is that as you know, uh, my brother Nate, who has been a guest on the podcast, he was talking to my sister, and she texted me last night at ten o'clock saying, "What's the deal with contrast paint?" Oh, and very good. Because so, she's been painting D and D minis for my nephew. Oh, for fun and dragons for fun, and they they're yeah. a big three D printer family. They've got like three three D printers going. They have like a side business where they print Christmas ornaments and stuff like that. Yeah, and one of them was a dumpster fire for twenty twenty. I have I have a little oh, dumb, I have a green dumpster on fire. But anyway, she's like, I need to know everything. To I need I need to know everything about contrast pay. And so I I, I gave the abbreviated version of our episode a few a few episodes back and, I, um, and I, she's like i want to listen to your podcast so it was very strange i had no idea my sister was into painting uh, D minis in her spare time she's like it's so relaxing it's super relaxed are you do you feel relaxed when you're painting i do time flies really really fast so it i'll does. put on a, a show that's light i don't really have to think about like i've been listening to new girl episodes uh-huh. And they just I like how you say you've been listening to it because like you're 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 kind of listening to it. And I've already long. seen it so I know what everybody yeah. looks like and I know all yeah. the plots and I've already watched the whole series once. So it's all it's all going through one ear and out the other and I look up and I'm like, "Well, that was 8 episodes while yeah. I've just been sitting here painting and that that uh and there's been a lot of late nights. So I guess what time flies when you're having fun. So I'm I'm certainly yeah. having fun yeah. and I'm not as stressed out about it. Because I, once your skill gets better, you're like, oh, well, that mini looks like crap. I don't care. I, I think it's fine looking like crap for what I wanted to do. And if I wanted to fix it, I know how I want to fix it. There's a big liberation with that, you know? Yeah. Like being able to, being able to just be like, you know what? Like, it's fine. Yeah. Because, because it, and it's funny because you, you look at some of these like amazing artists that are on YouTube or Instagram. Yeah, they're great. And they'll tell they'll tell you that same thing, but there's a lot of us that are just like, no, it has to look display quality. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. and you work I, up to that. You can't start yeah, that way. You can't. And and there's a big difference between painting an army, and then painting like a display quality. Yeah, miniature, there's display right? and like, tabletop and all the other yeah. all the other shades of gray in between. And guess what? You cannot. You know, no one's. <laughs> You know, when my daughter was three years old, she had been watching these Disney cartoons of ice skating where Minnie Mouse and Daisy Duck just put on the ice and just started doing ballet dances all across the ice. Well, she was three years old. She thought that's what ice skating was, you know. And here I was. I spent an hour hunched over uh, holding holding her up so she wouldn't crash while all of her feet kicked, kicked nonstop, scrambled, it was like holding on to like a 30 pound bowling ball that was possessed by the devil. And you had this, you had ice skates on and you were bent over holding it for an hour. Yeah. Um, and, but, but that's the thing. It's like, you can't, you, it's not ice skating at the age of three thinking you're going to just make up your own, you know, acrobatics moves. You yeah. actually have to acquire the skill. So 
I've been doing things like I, I did have a dump of my uh my paint, my Citadel paint pot. I had a Citadel paint pot dump. It happened, huh? I've lost I lost two thirds of a pot. Um, and so now on Amazon, I went in and ordered uh, ordered squeeze bottles and little metal shaky uh, little uh, you know ball bearings to to yep. stir it up. So I'm now I'm going to be transferring Citadel paint into generic paint bottles. That's my next. Yep. Uh, thing yep. Welcome to the club. Uh, and you'll probably get the Exacto knife and cut off the label and tape it on so you have it. Yeah. That's oh yeah. A, that's, that's the on next my step. List. That's on, I, I watched them do that. I was so excited about. I'm like, oh, that, what a what a fun tip. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's what's going on with me in painting. I nice. think I think I've caught the bug, and uh, and I'm enjoying that part of the hobby. That's awesome, man. Sorry, really I went it was super long. I took all of no, Jay's right. time. <laughs> exactly, you took Jay's time. What to say? Okay. <laughs> uh, let's see. Last week I was at Universal Studios Florida, um, on family vacation during spring break. So, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, we obviously spent a lot of time in Harry Potter World there. So fun. Um, we did both sides, uh, Diagon Alley and the Hogsmeade sections of Harry Potter World, and had a great time there. Uh, they did. They really paid a lot of attention, so that you really felt like you were kind of in that world, especially when you were going to get on some of the rides. Like, um, there was the Green Gots experience, right, that you would go ride a ride. Mm. But, like, even just getting in there, like, you would walk, like, the line took you through, like, the main bank area, and then you would go downstairs, and you would see, like, Green, you know. Oh, um, really? Yeah, Griff Hook's um, office, you know, where he wow. had the keys, and, like, it, it, you're just, like, it was really cool because, I mean, it looked just like the movies, you know, and you're like, yeah. this is crazy. Um, there was another experience through the castle where you would go and, and you know, you'd see, like, little balconies where they had uh, projections of, of Harry, Hermione, and Ron up to, you know, up to something. And you'd go oh. through Dumbledore's study and, you know, like, it, it was just. feel real. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so we had it. We had a blast. Um, there. You know, the interesting thing is, is that Harry Potter World straddles what was the original Universal Studios Park and then what became the Islands of Adventure. Mm -hmm. And the Islands of Adventure has the Jurassic Park area that has probably one of the best roller coasters that we've been on, mm -hmm. um, which is the Velocicoaster. It's a yeah. very fast mm -hmm. coaster, a lot of fun. Um, and... You know, uh, the Islands of Adventure also has the King Kong like areas and and rides. It has some of the Marvel, like holdover Marvel stuff before Disney acquired it, <laughs> which is yeah, it's kind of awesome. We have like, it under contract. Yeah, there's like a there's a Spider Man ride, there's a Doctor Doom ride, there's a Hulk ride. You know, Captain America was there, and I got a picture of my son with Captain America. Oh, you know, cool. so it was kind of funny. Um, but like, that's all like the Islands of Adventure area, right? Which is kind of a little bit older than than the Universal Studios. Yeah. And um, the, so the Universal Studios it had uh, like um, Men in Black ride. It had mm. some Simpsons, like Simpsons Land, which was kind of awesome. There was like a restaurant at Moe's. You could go eat at Moe's. Oh, really? Um, yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, and uh, they had like an E.T. ride. Now, I'm going to spend a little bit of time on the E.T. ride because you walked into this ride, and we all agreed, hands down, like even more than Harry Potter, the line 
was amazing in there. You felt like you were in the Sequoia Forest. Oh, really? Like they had, yeah. I mean, you're inside of a building, right? But they had these huge trees that you would have to walk around. They had like ferns. They had like sounds and like stars. You looked up, saw stars. So you didn't see like rafters or, or walls and stuff. You literally felt, and like the path you're walking on felt like it was dirt, you know? And so like, it, you really? really felt like you were in the forest. Um, and it was awesome. And my, my son was even like, dude, this is amazing in here. And it was a very dated ride. So you got on these bicycles, right? And um, you you started doing the adventure where, you know, you're trying to run from the cops and you're flying over stuff and you're flying over the city. But the E.T. ride doesn't end, end where you would think it would end. You would think it would end by you dropping off E.T. at his spaceship and him flying home, which is the end of the movie, right? Mm. No, that's not where it ends. You really? go with E.T. to his planet. Oh, and that's no. when the acid trip begins. <laughs> <laughs> what? Dude, it's wild. There's like little E.T.s everywhere. Oh. There's these like pumpkin-headed creatures. There was this creepy doll face thing. And I'm like, clean over my son. I'm like, where are we? And what did we eat before we got onto this ride? Oh, like. Gosh. It's like you know in Disneyland Special when you ride brownies. the Winnie the when you ride the Winnie the Pooh ride. <laughs> yeah, the only and thing that like, helps there is everything is like you know big <laughs> pieces of flat wooden boards painted with Winnie the Pooh crap. Yeah, <laughs> you're like yeah. this sucks, Disney. Yeah, but but you know it's all like fluorescent black yeah. light stuff, and yeah, it yeah, feels yeah, like yeah, you yeah. literally are on an acid trip. Yeah. Like maybe the you know Huffleupagus like kind of came into your dreams again <laughs> but the like that's how et was where you're just like what is happening here so and then we get down and i'm just like did we even leave the planet bro like <laughs> so well, it was a pretty good time yeah i was like uh, i don't remember this happening on this uh on the ct you know oh, adventure before i don't know what to so, about that man no it was a good time uh universal studios is a lot of fun we uh ended up um splurging for the fast passes and mm. it was very expensive i will say that but it was worth every penny like well, just not waiting in line dude there's an economist it was a big difference. who i was listening to on another podcast saying you should always buy those every time because if you start calculating your time then you were you were grossly behind the financial power curve by not paying for those things and you are like we we did both sides of the parks. It took us two days to do them, and that's even with the fast passes. Yeah, you know, and um, and uh, yeah, it was just it was a good time. Like we um we 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 were lucky to be able to like we just walked on rides like the ET ride, like the Men in Black ride, and some of these other ones. Some of the more popular ones we had to mm -hmm. wait a little bit. Some there's two rides in particular that didn't have the fast passes, but yeah. having those made such a difference. Where we're just like, you know what? Let's just go try it, because if we had looked at a ride and said sixty minutes, and we knew that like time was limited, we probably wouldn't have tried the ride. You know, yeah, we would have moved on to something else. So, wow. yeah. And like, there's a point too where it's like you're spending X amount already, and I know that that's kind of a sunk cost. But if you spend a little bit more, your time is much more enjoyable, mm. you know. And so that's that's kind of a threshold that I look at it too, mm. you know. So anyway, I but yeah, no, it was uh, it was a really good, uh, really good trip. We had a we had a great time with it, and um, looking forward to uh, looking forward to the next time that we go, which will probably be in a few years, but who knows? Yeah, we just got season so. passes to uh, Bush Gardens, 
Oh, and nice. So, okay. Uh, let me tell you, <laughs> I went on the Pantheon, which uh-huh. is the fastest four accelerator roller coaster in the world <laughs> right oh. now. <laughs> and it did things to me. <laughs> it did things to me. I can't really, I can't really describe. I got off and I saw another middle-aged man my age and he looked at me and I gave him a look and he's like, oh, this is what I'm getting on? (laughs) And I'm like, yes, you're getting on something that's going to change you forever. That's amazing. Anyway, if you're in the area and you want to ride a good ride, ride that one. And and you won't be the same person who steps off the ride. I'm not going to describe it. You go check it out on your that's funny. But yeah, that was because of the family vacation. That was pretty much my geek. I, I mean, I guess I got one more thing. I finished a 40K novel um, called uh, Warhammer 40K novel. It was cool. called, um, uh, I cannot believe I'm blanking on it. Um, <laughs> it seems like why even bring it up then? Um, it was, oh my gosh. Like, why can't I remember this? Mm. Um. It was the Inquisitor, famous Inquisitor. Um, oh gosh, what is his name? Oh my gosh, I, it'll come to me later. Mm. Like, but anyway, I finished the the novel. It was a delightfully, um, delightfully. Um, oh, Eisenhorn. Thank you. Okay. Eisenhorn Zenus. So Eisenhorn is like the. Um, he is like the uh um quintessential Warhammer 40k inquisitor, right? Mm-hmm. So it read sort of like a mystery novel cuz he's trying to get to the bottom of like this chaos cult that he's like following, you know? Mm-hmm. And it leads to like much much deeper obviously like issues within the um imperium, you know. Okay. And so like, you know, there's like um, well-known, well-established families that are part of this chaos cult and, like, it leads to them, like, going to, like, the outer edges of the universe and, and it has some great action. It had some interesting, almost, like, horror aspects because you're dealing with chaos. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, it had some good, like, mystery stuff. It, it was probably one of the better 40K novels out there and it's it's widely regarded as one of one of the better 40K novels. Um, you talk about Eisenhorn and people know like in who are, you know, involved in 40k know exactly who you're talking about. And um our our god emperor himself, uh Henry Cavill, was once floated <laughs> as maybe potentially playing a, a an edition of like a rendition of um mm-hmm. Eisenhorn, you know. Um, even though I think that he would be better suited elsewhere. So yeah. Anyway. Well, I I I I'm pessimistic about Warhammer making its way into other mediums. Yeah. I'm highly pessimistic. I I doesn't mean I don't think it's impossible. I'm just pessimistic. So you say that it's kind of interesting and and um so Warhammer Plus is a thing that they've that they have um put out it's a subscription service mm-hmm. and um it allows you to use their service to build lists for 40k and age of sigmar mm-hmm. i think it's like 60 dollars a year or something like that and um 
But they also have like um, bonus painting videos that are like maybe a little bit more advanced skill mm-hmm. type stuff than the ones that they show on YouTube. Like, because the ones that they put, the Warhammer puts on YouTube are like two minute videos of like, here's how you base coat it, here's how you do that, here's how you do that, you know? But this one's like, here's how you can paint bottles, you know? Like, here's how you can paint lenses or something mm-hmm. like that. That's, That's like cool. a little bit more, you know, um, involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they also, they've been creating some animated series as well on there so they've been getting into um like uh more yeah animated so they've got like classically animated like 2d cartoon stuff they've got some anime style stuff and then they've got some more like you know computer generated animated shows that they're putting out there so um it'll be interesting to see you know like there's been some criticisms of the the quality of some of these things, and I think some of them are right and some of them are okay. But um, look, it can't. They're not as bad as the Halo series. It's on Paramount right now. Well, I haven't even started on that, and I'm paying for Paramount. Oh, listen. Let me tell you how bad the CGI is in that in that show. Oh, is it? It's so bad. It is so bad. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's like it. It reminds me of. Um, Low budget Battlestar Galactica from back in the day, or originally? from back in the day, from back in the day, really? Yeah, well, no, from from like you know, around 2000, from 2000, okay, yeah, but you know, I mean, like, not from you look at right, you look at Battlestar Galactica now, Mm -hmm. and you're like, okay, like, this wasn't the greatest. Yeah, I mean, they were on a budget, obviously, and it, it does what it needs to do to you know, help us understand about Cylons and. Some of the explosions look a little wonky or, you know what I mean? Stuff but, like that. But you, you know they were doing that on a total shoestring. I don't think Halo yeah. was done on a shoestring. But it looks like it was done on worse than a shoestring. It, it's so bad. And like, um, like my son and I were watching it and we're like, why does this look so bad? Oh, like we both are looking at each other like, are you seeing this too? Like it just no good. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll do another geek week on the Halo series because I'm, I'm struggling with it. Yeah. And uh, I, I'll get around to working on Picard. I, I have a hard time. I'm, I'm, I'm caught up with it, but I'm still ingesting what it is trying to say. And I still don't understand after all these episodes what they're really trying to say here. So. <laughs> I watched two episodes of it. I'm like, where are we going with this? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm going to get to the end of it, and then I'm going to form an opinion. I think that that's fair. So right now, if I just did it based on the, the episodes, the the, the binge bait uh, endings of every episode, like, oh, now you've got a stew tune in for next week because we yeah. left you with another cliffhanger. It's like, guys, it doesn't feel like Star Trek. I'm sorry. I'll stop. I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> We're going to go to the news. Let's do the news. Welcome to Tabletop and Beyond News. Wow, that was a very dramatic music this time, Dan. I, I just wanted to give it some oomph. Yeah, that, that was definitely some oomph. Yeah, give it some oomph. <laughs> All right, this is a real deal important announcement. Wizards of the Coast announced they are acquiring D&D Beyond from Fandom for a cost of $146 million. The sale has been approved by the boards of both companies, but will require regulatory review and other standard hurdles, meaning the sale will not close until the second or third quarter of 22. Originally launched in 2017, D&D Beyond was created by Curse LLC, which was then owned by Amazon through their subsidiary Twitch. 
In 2018, Fandom purchased D&D Beyond along with some other assets from Curse. So, what does this mean? If you've been living under a rock, you may not know that one of the best ways people get into D&D digitally is through D&D Beyond. Yeah, for sure. If you've also uh, been living under a rock, you would know that if you bought a book digitally, you don't get it in hard copy or vice versa. Yep. And this would be why. So we do know there's another big announcement coming out from Wizards of the Coast in the next couple weeks. I think this proves that the D&D Beyond digital experiment was a massive success. Massive success. And we, we've done an episode on D&D Beyond. Yes. Um, and I think we even did a bit of an update in a further one. And look, I, first off, I didn't realize that... Um, it was bought by Fandom in 2018. I thought that they had it. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know the Curse LLC is part of the equation. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, ever since 2018, I can tell you this: like they have put in a lot of work on that D and D Beyond. Now, I mean, what's amazing is that you can now click on things on your character sheet, and it'll roll dice for you. Right. So if you've got like, you know, to hit with advantage, you can click that and it will roll two dice and take your top one and then put the result in the in the uh, uh, game log. Mm. So and um, I can see all of that. And uh, they've done like an experimental encounter builder where you basically put your people in there. Everybody hits roll initiative on their sheet and it automatically populates it into the tracker. And then I can do uh, roll all monsters initiative and it'll randomly roll their initiative and then start the encounter like in the order that you should be going. So rolling initiative in D&D Beyond takes literally 10 seconds, you know, and it's just amazing. And you just keep hitting next. There's a shared notebook that everybody's contributing to, right? So the GM sees it all or is it just all on your your own silo? Uh, no, I mean, there's a game log that you can go to, but um, what happens is, and this is something that they could get better at, is having the shared experience. So what I would love to see, uh, there's two things I really want to see happen. Uh, the first one is like maybe a better Twitch integration or some sort of video integration that you could do with Zoom or something yeah. like that, where you could have an overlay of your screen so that you can see the dice roll and everybody can see it roll. Because mm-hmm. what happens is, is like if one player clicks roll their dice, they'll only see the result, the other players will only see the result pop up in the game log. Oh. So they don't get the glory and triumph of seeing a one roll into a 20. Right. You know what I mean? And, and um, that kind of thing. Um, so I would love to see the, like a more video friendly aspect of it show up so that you didn't have to like run zoom and D and D beyond separately yeah, and that you could, you could share your dice and screens and stuff like that a little bit better. Well, I would Um, hope that they wouldn't do their own. They wouldn't roll their own. They should just partner with somebody or build a plugin for like, there's a zoom marketplace now or something like that. Yeah. But now that they could, they could use the APIs to integrate it, which which would be cool. Would be super yeah. cool. The second thing that I hope to see from this is that now that Wizards of the Coast owns this, I mean, the let me back up. The the main reason 
that you couldn't get the digital book and the physical book is because they were two separate companies, right? Like D&D Beyond needed to make money supporting their platform by selling the digital versions of the books that you could then integrate with your games, which are seamless integrations, by the way. Like, they're absolutely amazing. Um, so, like, that's cool, right? But what I would love to see is that if you buy a physical copy of the book now that you get, you know, either a code that gives you the digital one or even like a, you know, $10 digital book where it's a one-time use code, you pay $10 and you also get the digital book, you know, That's I mean, I would be willing to do wanted. that. I mean, yeah, exactly. I, I had to, I've been waiting for that for so many months. I finally, because my daughter's running her first campaign. I bought myself a copy of the Monster Manual and the Dungeon Master's Guide. I mean, I've been waiting, like, yeah. this, this stuff came out, what, 2014? And I've just been dragging my... I'm like, well, if this starts comes out, I, I, if this starts to come out, I'd like to have both physical and digital copies. That would be yeah. ideal. But I'm like, okay, yeah. well, I'm out of time, and uh, I'm just going to get them, just because she yeah. can use them, and I'll, I'll have them on my, um, on my bookshelf to use when, if I want to. But I just... It's like such a no-brainer why wouldn't they just do that and everybody kind of forgives star wars because it's like oh yeah star wars star wars digital and star wars analog have, all, have had this long-standing thing because electronic arts has this su supposedly ironclad contract but then suddenly when fantasy flight games got a hold of the license they were putting out star wars dice rollers and star a few star right. Wars things so we're like why wouldn't wizards of the coast before <laughs> ever try to integrate analog and digital together yeah and now we just kind of know it's like i think they they let this twitch this other company just do it yep. in case they yep. failed they could wash their hands of it they yep. get their licensing fee and go oh gosh well it sucks to be you goodbye yeah and that is um <clears throat> and and now they're looking at a raging success and that's the key entry point into people new players into the game so they've got to put down the money to own it. Yeah. One of our friends is very pessimistic. They th he thinks they will destroy this resource. Yeah. He's always pessimistic about that kind of stuff, though. He's kind um, of a Debbie Downer on everything. <laughs> if he's listening. We love you, buddy. We, we love you, Bartholomew. <laughs> um, the... Yeah, right. Uh the I, I don't I don't know that they'll destroy it. Um I just hope they put as much like TLC in it as as um fandom did because really like I mean, if you think about it, like that was their livelihood. Selling the books and getting people onto their platform was their livelihood. Yeah. Wizards of the Coast doesn't really need that because yeah. they can sell the books elsewhere, you, you know. Just and took so, words, you, I was gonna make that exact same point and you took yeah. the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm I'm hoping that they see the they obviously see the value in it if they're willing to pay one hundred forty six million dollars. I it. think that's where they figured out where all their new players are coming from. They're not coming yeah. from game shops. They're not coming from as, as much word of mouth from those traditional outlets. I think yeah. um, if a bunch of teenagers got together today and wanted to play D&D &D and one of the kids had the book, all the other kids would go on D&D &D and beyond. And that's just yep. all that would happen. Well, guess what? That's the next how many generations of gamers right there. And that's where they're, that's their starting point, not their end point. That's their yeah. starting point. And those books MSRP at 50 bucks a pop, the thin ones. Right. 
Yep. So yep. it's like, what do they ask? They want it all, each one of these kids to go drop fifty bucks on a player's handbook. Right. Mm. And I and I early on got like the um, founders pack because I start I got involved yeah, in yeah, early in D and D like when it first came out in two thousand seventeen. D and D Beyond, I know, and I'm like. That's going to be such a waste of money. <laughs> yeah. And so it's so funny because it's like I was so excited about it because it's like it launched like right after Gen Con. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. oh, I'm so into this. I'm going to do it right. And so yeah. I spent the money and, and it the was rest a couple of us hundred dollars. Like, oh, you're just yeah. setting money on fire. That's all going to disappear yeah. in six months. Now it's like tripled. If I wanted to get those same things, it's like triple, quadruple the cost, you know? So I'm like, oh, okay, that was a good idea. All right. Um, I think it's literally know? the same price, isn't it? Isn't it literally the same price as the digital? I could be wrong. Somebody correct us in the comments or something. But it feels like it, it's basically the same price, right? Yeah. It's so, almost identical. So I – um. But I, I got it back then, and the nice thing is that my daughter uses my D&D Beyond account now to create all of her characters because she has access to so much stuff. Yeah. Why you know? She? So, yeah, exactly. Well, we've seen the so future. It's D&D and Beyond, and that $140 million didn't uh, grow on trees. So those were, right. those were old school gamers spending money on parchment pressed into thin sheets with ink. That yep. just paid for uh, uh, Hasbro to go buy that that company. Yeah, for sure. So for sure. let's be optimistic. I hate to be internet hater trolls. So I think they have an opportunity. They, they have an, I think they're, I, I'm optimistic too. They have an opportunity to really um, leverage that space and change the hobby permanently. If they got smart about it, they could permanently change the hobby forever. If, if oh, they yeah. really got creative. So. It would, it would, I think it would force other game systems to have to figure out a solution, whether that is go to like a roll 20 solution yeah. or something like that. You know what I mean? Like they're going to need other, other systems would need to figure out an online content management system. Yeah. I've always talked about this in the past where some, there'll be a date in the future where people are still playing RPGs. Everyone comes in with a rectangular digital device. Yep. And all the devices are aware of each other. They're aware of what game's being played. The GM is aware. People are rolling things, and it just happens seamlessly. And this was my vision. You can talk to Jay. I was like, this is this is what the future is going to be. I talked to him about well, like six years ago. He's like, yeah, we should build that app and do it ourselves. We, of course, never did that because we have lives and families and stuff. But <laughs> um, they could do it. If anybody could do it, it would be Wizards of the Coast. Yeah, with this, they could take D and D Beyond and really push it beyond, um, and really change the game forever if they wanted to. Yeah, for sure, I agree. In my opinion. Yeah. All right. Next news. Oh, we spent a lot of time on that. All right. Talk <laughs> about the One Ring starter set. So it is up for sale now. I'm really excited about it because this is the second edition of the One Ring that came out um and it is uh available on miniature market for 34.99 right now mm -hmm. which is not a bad price for a starter set uh you know we had we had uh, talked about uh rune quest which is at 50 dollars uh what was it our our other set of cthulhu was like 25 dollars ish you know so coming in at 35 is pretty good uh, it contains a 24-page volume of condensed rules, 53-page compendium co covering the four farthings of the Shire, 
um yeah 32 page volume containing five exciting adventures to play so you get five adventures out of this okay which is pretty good um eight double-sided pre-generated character sheets which is cool a huge full-color double-sided map showing the shire and Eriador. i'm kind of i that's i have a weakness for the nice maps i know me too uh 30 war gear cards for weapons and armor six double-sided journey roll and combat stance cards two dd uh two d12 feet uh feet dice and six d6 success dice six d6 success dice wow so say that five times d12s fast and d6s for d6s yeah okay all right yeah okay okay um it sounds like it's more a d6 based game i imagine like the d12 is a feet dice so i think that that's you know probably um that's probably uh situationally specific you know mm. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where we kind of end up with this, but um, I am interested in picking this up because I've got a little bit of a weakness for starter kits, mm. RPG starter kits. Because <laughs> I mean, I do. I love them. them. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. love them. I mean, they're all, they're a lot of fun, and you know, especially when it advertises um, that you've got five adventures in here. So even if you bought this game and you never bought anything else and you played five adventures of hobbits running around in the Shire and Eriador, yeah, would you call that a success for $35? That's $7 a session. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean. That's a huge set. That's huge. Like, why not? Yeah. Right? And, and, and you can. If you get bored with RPGs, beginner boxes are the way to go. Yeah. If you're like, no, I want to learn all the arcane things and take my characters to level 20. Maybe starter kits are not for you. But if you're like, hey, I can do four or five sessions of this, and then I want to move on to another genre, another system. Yeah. Go, go beginner box. And they've got, I mean, obviously they've got a bunch of other stuff on here. Um, like, for example, you can get the core, this is a miniature market when I say on here. Uh, the <laughs> One Ring 2E RPG core rules is only $40 if okay. you want to invest in that afterwards. Um, the people who made this are the ones who did the uh, Alien RPG. Which um, you guys liked. That, I, I, think, uh, I don't think we've played it. We ha I haven't played it. The didn't, Alien didn't one. Justin play it? Not Justin, Jason play it. I, I don't know if he played it. I think he wanted I think to. I think he wanted to. Yeah. I think it's relatively new as well. But the Alien one came out, and there's um, like the Colonial Marines expansion that had just dropped too. Um, this group is also the one that did the Tales from the Loop board game. Oh yeah, that yeah, we yeah. that we kind of talked about before. So they um, have some interesting interesting games that they are doing, and I think that the Alien RPG plays similarly. I think it's a D six D twelve system yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, um, I'm interested. I'm interested to see what they did with it because the one ring used to be with fantasy flight games, didn't it? Uh, I, I don't think so. It, the, it has changed. No. Oh no. You know who it was with? It was with, um, uh, cubicle seven. Yeah, that's correct. They were the ones that were doing the, um, uh, the Warhammer RPGs cubicle seven yep, and yep. they they owned it as well they owned the ip for a while as well 
And I think that their version of it, and this is the first edition, their version was a D100 similar to the other ones. Mm-hmm. I could be totally wrong about that, but I, I'm pretty sure that that's what it was. Well, you know, the, the Lord of the Rings RPG system has gone, I think it's like Star Trek, it's gone through, the license has gone through a lot of different publishers over the years, so it's kind of hard to generalize exactly. Yeah, yeah. But um, sure. let me just say, going back to the topic of starter kits, one of the, I don't think the the FFG Star Star Wars RPG would have been half as successful as it turned out to be if the starter kits were not so compelling. As oh a man, they're amazing! I For love 20 them. Twenty bucks, you get the dice, which are worth fifteen bucks. Beautiful colored documents, an extra adventure online, two extra char- printable characters online. Um, you still that that still took a little extra work, but for twenty ish, twenty five ish dollars, they were such a good value. Yeah, and and so it just hooked everybody. It was just such a such a hook. Um, so my yeah. brother, my brother is running uh, the D and D starter kit, the Minds of Fendelver. Okay. Um, for his son's birthday party coming up this oh, weekend. Wow. And I was like, oh yeah, cool. Like, um, you know, he's like, oh, I think I need to go like like print out some maps or something i'm like wait like there's no maps in there like dude this D starter kit just basically has a couple pre-gens and a little booklet mm. and i'm like weak yeah i know <laughs> you know, I know like they're just printing their own money it's like, oh my gosh i was like that yeah. is the lamest starter set ever because oh, it's like cost them 20 something dollars the cheapest dice you could ever lay your eyes oh on. yeah I mean, it cost him twenty something dollars for that D and D starter set, yeah. and I'm like, I paid the same thing for Cthulhu, and I had all these amazing handouts yeah. to give out and maps and all this other stuff that we like we had, you know, all these pre gen stuff, access to the online repository where you could go make your more characters and all this stuff, you know, and and I'm just like, oh man, Wizards is <laughs> always profit taking off those beginner boxes, while other yeah. companies use them as a lost leader. Yep, totally yep, sure. different model. For sure. Yeah. It's very interesting. Very interesting. Great piece uh, of news, though. Yeah. Speaking of RPGs. We have a lot of RPG news <laughs> we, today. I've been trying do. to do less RPG news, and you've inserted lots of RPG news. <laughs> I did, because there was a lot that came out. Uh, the Dark Souls RPG Collector's Edition was released to uh, several members, uh, experienced RPGers, and their collective feedback was, this has a lot of problems. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. So Dark Souls tabletop RPG is full of problems, according to British players who got it early. And this was on the Polygon dot uh, com news site. Um, so yeah, the the it says the collector's edition of the rulebook is out and it's not great. <laughs> so yeah, I threw that over to play test, play test, play test, play test, then publish. Yeah, exactly. I threw this over to Jason and being like, what do you think of this, right? And he um he's like, this is the problem with like totally buying into IPs like and investing in everything about an IP, right? Like you just yeah. not everything is equal when it comes to like he loves Dark Souls, obviously. We talked yeah. at ad nauseum last, last or time, last time yeah. about yeah. uh Elden, you know the Elden Ring. Elden Ring and stuff like yeah. that. So um, you know, they're saying stuff that's like, uh, 
There's major inconsistent play. I'm going to read a paragraph. Players on Reddit are pointing out all kinds of major inconsistencies with the rule sets, which is based on a open source version of fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons. So it's not like they are inventing this thing from scratch, right? Like they're really? using, they're using the mechanics from D and D five E. For instance, certain classes like the knight don't have enough strength at level one to wear their own starting armor. <laughs> That's a playtest fail. While the caster's starting stats won't allow it to wield one of the weapons recommended to them. <laughs> Meanwhile, no one is even totally sure how death is supposed to work <laughs> in here, right? Which is kind of a key component with Dark yeah. Souls. is like you die and you come back, you die and you come back, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. It sounds like they're struggling. Well, um, let me throw yeah. in a bunch of other IPs under the bus along with Dark Souls because Dark Souls is death is death and rebirth is a key theme of the game. I hate to break the news to you, but almost every sci-fi RPG, without exception, has crappy Starfighter combat rules. Yes, that oh, always man. feel I was a thinking about that. Yeah. Off. So I don't think I don't think. Uh, I'm going to give Dark Souls a pass and say some things are harder to do than others. I agree. And look, I mean, I was thinking about that with Rogue Trader the other day. Um, Rogue Trader was at its best when it was not in space. You know? Um, yeah, why is that? And we tried to make it, we yeah. tried to make it fun. But yeah. it's like the best, you, you, you know, and it's hard to, we even tried like a, and, and, you know, I tried to experiment on like making a ship feel more like a ship and it yeah. didn't work. It know? didn't work. And, right. and that that's why so. I keep gushing about the Star Trek adventure system. It's because actually space combat is fun and interesting yeah. and well thought out and well executed. Um, and it's really simple. You make the ship a character, an NPC, and that NPC is trying to help the other players accomplish what they're doing. Yeah. And 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 that's the fundamental there. It's like, okay, well, so you use the same system as you would two players, two characters trying to fix a thing together. The ship is trying to help you do a thing. It's like, well, I'm trying to shoot that guy. Okay, well, how is the ship going to help you, right? Yeah. And how are we going to take damage? And And that's it. And it is actually really seamless and fun. And we give the engineer the the job to roll for the ship, right? Oh, you're the engineer, so you roll. Instead of the engineer sitting there waiting for something to break, the engineer's like, "Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna help you do your to help do the assist on the scanning roll, or on the cloaking yeah. or something like that." And um, it can be it can be super fun. Um, it doesn't have they don't have to be written badly. So, going back to Dark Souls. Playtesting really matters. Um, it, it, you know, no no game will survive contact with the player base, but from the things that yeah. you're talking about, every single one of those notes should have been caught in another four weeks of playtest. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So to end, to end on a high note, in my mm -hmm. opinion, a high note, one more piece of RPG news is that Blade Runner, the role-playing game, uh, will drop on Kickstarter on May 3rd. What if this one sucks? So, uh, yeah. So, interestingly, the people who are doing this, they're not the same people who are doing the uh, One Ring, but they're using the um, 
they're using the Year Zero engine, the game okay. engine, which was used in Alien RPG and Tales from the Loop and Forbidden Lands RPGs. Yep. Yep. So um, it's not the same company that did uh, One Ring, as I said. I you know I believe that it's a it's a different different company and. Um, they're, you know, but they're using the same engine. Oh, okay. no. You know what? I lied. I lied. You lied. Same company. It's free, free league publishing. Same people who just league, uh, yeah. put out the one ring. So I believe that it's, again, the D6, D12 thing that they're using um, because that is their engine that they have that they have done. So yeah, um, I'm very excited about this. I think that mm-hmm. um, this looks really good. I... Uh, it takes place in between the first movie and the second movie. Um, so yeah. in between the Harrison Ford Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049. Uh, and so, you know, the, the, I, I would say that the one aspect where I hesitate a little bit with Blade Runner the game is where I had issue with the Witcher RPG, which is that if you're going to be playing the Witcher RPG, everybody wants to be a Witcher. Hmm. You know, and so I wonder if this game is built in such a way that everybody wants to be be a Blade Runner, or are some of the other classes or you know kind of playable characters are are they more as compelling as being a Blade Runner? Well, you know? first of all, the artwork just on their website alone, Blade Runner RPG dot com, is really gorgeous. So that means it's amazing. They're gonna, it, you know, obviously this is all original artwork. None of these are stills from the film. Films, uh, yep. plural. So that yep. means it'll be very immersive. Um, my the one reason why I will not back this is because I always I already have Android Shadow of the Beanstalk for the Genesis right. system. Right. And frankly, I could totally run. I, I have a book. I could just run Blade Runner, and I have all the rules for replicants and. Yep. And flying cars and the whole nine yards. So mm-hmm. um, I don't need this. I'm not in the market for this because I've kind of pre-bought a generic system that already squatted this territory. That's actually drafting. I mean, Android, the Android universe kind of drafts off of, you know, both uh, Blade Runner and the Expanse. So it's kind of hard to, yeah. you know, throw them under, you know. A, 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 anyway, long story short, I'm not going to be into it. If you guys buy it, I'll play it. Um, if it's gritty and dark. So half of these games, and you know, this is part of the reason why I love getting some of these like more. I don't know if indie RPGs are the right word, but half of these games, I love running these little one-off kind of random RPGs at our guild con. Yeah, yeah I love yeah, it. Yeah. I love not running D and D or Star Wars or something a, like that that we play all the campaign. time. Yeah. Yeah, I love the one shots where I can play. Hey, let's play Warhammer 40k Death Watch, where your Space Marines running around for four hours. Yep. That sounds a lot, like a lot of done, fun, right? Yep. Let's play Cthulhu. Let's play, you know, Rune Rune Quest. Let's play, you know, let's let's do some of these other ones. And that like, totally works as long as you've given everybody a good character, and they yep. are slightly stronger than the main threat, even though they feel they should feel fear, right? Like, yep. Oh no, my character's about to die. It's when a game kind of reserves its best fireworks for when you level up. D&D does yeah. this. Yeah. D&D, the best fireworks, you just got to wait until you level the freak up before things get interesting. And so it like begs you to keep playing the same character over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, 
you know, the leveling system, I'm going to say in Star Trek is universally kind of panned is not that useful. So you start playing a character that's not that going to be that not going to be too far off of the character you end with. Right. No matter how many missions you play. So one of your incentives to come back is not to squeeze out more XP and to just get that extra plus one. But somehow in D&D, that, that's like the crack that everyone's always chasing with their character because those fireworks are reserved for higher levels. Yeah, for sure. For yeah, sure. We, so we a lot are, of <laughs> we, we have so much to say. We have so many important thoughts that we want to tell you our listeners oh. about. Yeah, like there's a there's a lot of stuff. I I feel like and and I don't know if you feel this way too, but things hit things hit the pause button for a while during the pandemic. Yeah. And I think we're starting to see a real boom a in the gaming industry as like things are starting to come out like there's a lot of things coming out all at once, I feel like. And maybe it's just me being more astute and attentive, but I, I really do feel like things that were put on hold are now like being released quite a bit. And, so. and even when supply chain stuff is being locked up, there are things like, like I said, I've just gotten into World of Smog. When the supply chain was saturated back in the 2017s, 2018s, all that stuff is still on the shelves. Yeah. So you can say, oh, well, my latest and greatest, I don't know when it's going to come out because I don't know when that ship is going to leave the COVID-infected port, right? Yep. Who cares? Go back five years. What was hot then? Yeah. Go go try something yep. that you missed. And, oh, and by the way, there's 12 expansions for it, you know, if, yeah. if you love it. So uh, I'm glad new things are coming out, but don't, don't let uh, – there there's no way you'll go to your grave playing every game that you would like right. and you would enjoy. So the only way you know what you like, what you enjoy is to play more and more games and say, I like this kind of game. I don't like this kind of game. Speaking yep. of games that we enjoy and why, let's switch to our main topic. <laughs> let's do it. So our main topic today is about fudging. And again, we're not making fudge here. We're not we're doing we're not, the fudging. We're not going to pack this full of a lot of fudge. <laughs> so this kind of came up the other day i was in the dungeons and dads facebook group the other day and uh one of the guys posted in there and said hey um i normally don't fudge my dice rolls but i'm starting to see why i should because they were in an encounter and i or during my session i had five pcs die <laughs> and I'm like, wow. And he said one guy had two characters die like in that night, you know? And he said it was crazy. He's like, yeah, I mean, there's like five of them and they were like at a, you know, a um, combat rating of two and, and something else, which is like hard, but it's not like that lethal. He's like, dude, they were just, they couldn't hit the broadside of a barn and I was rolling so hot, you know? <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, well. Um, you so also it's kind brought of funny. this up in our episode about RuneQuest. You yes, mentioned that I did. You, you know how you like to fudge. Right, exactly. So if let's let's start with the basics. Let's start with the basics. Dan, what is what is fudging? Classic like, fudging from a GM's perspective or a DM's mm -hmm. perspective is you play the game behind a uh game master screen or D dungeon master screen and you make the noise yeah. of it rolling dice and when you see a roll you don't like as the game master you say well i'm the game master i have a thing called gm fiat which i can change the game at a whim and i could say that dice was a different number than what uh what showed up and you can fudge 
to help the players or you can fudge to hurt the players. Yes. Right? Uh-huh. I mean, fudging can go both ways. Yes. There's a lot. Sorry. I'm, like, I'm going to try not to. I'm getting my head out of the gutter. Stop it, Dan. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> so, um, do we want to go into the question of whether it's good or bad or talk about why we would do it first? Let's talk about why we, why you would do it. Why would you why would you fudge the dice rolls? And actually let, let me back up a little bit because I think that there's a different there's different ways that we can fudge. Yes. Right? And and I think I think that's something to Oh, I only um, explained one way. Yeah, exactly. The other way is which to is ignore rules. Ignore rules, exactly. Or maybe not ignore rules. I I that's another pull, way. Let's talk pull, about that. Or, or there you can ignore rules. Okay, here's one yep. way. You can mess with the dice. Two, yeah. you can ignore rules. Three, you as the GM know that you could use a rules as written opportunity to help or hurt the players and you pull that punch. You decide right. not to do that just out of your own uh, autonomy. Right. And so example of that um, that I have done in the past is that I had a player who was very attached to this character very 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 attached and i didn't want to create a negative play experience yes you know um yet the group found themselves in a situation where they were hurting bad and this player made some choices that probably weren't the smartest um and literally was about to die yep and i this my the monster that I had had the opportunity to literally destroy this player and probably should have like at the, like how I normally play the monsters. Right. Um, because he, the player had like three health and generally, I mean, as a DM, like you, that monster attacks that person until they go unconscious or something like that. Right. Um, but had this, had this monster done it, it would have killed him. And so, uh, I assessed that, the the player had fallen prone, um, was hurting really badly, was injured, right? Mm-hmm. And so I had the monster, quote-unquote, assess the situation and see that this was no longer a threat and that the bigger threat was over at the door. Oh, yeah. Where yeah, yeah. another healthier player was. Yeah. Yeah. You know what spread I mean? The and so spread of- the damage around. Exactly. And so this is where I pulled my punch because I could have gone for the jugular on that one so easily, like, yeah. and killed this off. And Dan, am, I'm kind of known as a lethal GM yep. sometimes, yep. you, you know, are. so I, I don't really hesitate to kill players, characters, and my, my players know this about me. So they should always have a backup character, which they did, you know. But I knew that this player was so attached to their character. And we were close to the end of the campaign that I'm like... It's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. You know what I mean? I didn't. I really didn't want to create a negative play experience. And so I pulled the punch. And it's, it's funny because Jason looked at me like, I know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> you just nerfed the, nerfed the monster. Yes, exactly. Like he yeah. looked at me. He's like, I know what you're but doing. But you're, what know, you're doing is... Okay, so there's... Let's stand back here. Okay. Yeah. There's one school of thought. I'm going to call this the Abed Nadir school of thought. Now, Abed Nadir has been a game master on a TV show because he's a character on NBC primetime to Weiss, (laughs) Uh which is pretty good. I think is 
a little bit better than uh, Matt Mercer <laughs> in some right. ways. Matt Mercer never got to do his shtick on NBC during primetime Thursday night comedy, right? So there's two quotes, one one from each of the D&D episodes of Community, where Abed says, I have to be impartial or the game has no meaning. That's quote one, which is he's uh-huh. just, and first of all, his, char- his, his character on the show is, you know, pretty kind of a rigid, they, they acknowledge early on that he has Asperger's, right? The yeah. second quote is, I owe you nothing. I am a dungeon master. I create a boundless world and I bind it by rules. Too heavy for a bridge, it breaks. Get hit, take damage. Spend an hour outside somebody's front door fighting over who gets to kill him. He leaves through the back. He's out there somewhere. You might find him if you get your crap together. So there's kind of two schools of thought. And, and the Abed school of thought is, look, the, the, this it, it's a game because it's a game, right? If you yeah. stop playing a game, it becomes just pretensies time or you're writing a screenplay together, right? Where there's right. literally no bounds. The rules and the dice create boundaries that allow other more interesting things to happen. So there's yeah, and and just to add to that, I think that the game has to feel like it has consequences. Otherwise, you can go on a murder hobo streak, and who cares? It doesn't yeah. matter, right? Yeah. Um. So consequences have to happen for choices that are made. Um. In these types of games, otherwise, decisions don't matter that much, right? right? Like they don't. And in fact, the best experiences that I have had, both as a GM and as a player, are when the consequences, you know that they're there, but they're not as clear as black and white. And so the players choose something and realize, oh, crap, like this was a terrible, this is choosing between a turd sandwich and a crap sandwich. And um, we know what the consequences are, and we just have to kind of, like, deal with it, right? And so, um, yeah, I mean, the the game does have to have con- – it does have to have boundaries, and it does have to have consequences. Mm-hmm. And if you if you get rid of them, then you're – you might as well, like you said, you're just playing pretensies. Yeah, you're just doing backyard fun time, um, which is not – we're not playing pretend in the backyard. We're playing a game, Right. The other side of the spectrum, the other argument is is the social contract of coming together and playing a game. Whether it's a role-playing game or a board game or a war game, right? The purpose of uniting with another human being to do this is to have fun. And that's the social contract. So the idea is that it's going to be fun for the GM. It's going to be fun for the player. Everybody will walk out and say, that was fun. We should do that again. And you know you violated the social contract where everybody walks out of an RPG session and says, I'm not, I don't want to play in this session anymore, or I don't want right. to run this game anymore. Something was unfun. Somebody, And I've been in those sessions. I've been the reason for those sessions, or somebody else has been one of those <laughs> reasons for those sessions. Those actually exist. So you could say, when it comes to the negative play experience, you could say you want to fudge the rules in order to... Um, keep the so to keep up your end of the social contract right which is hey i don't want to have a negative play experience right i don't want somebody you know doing a hangdog look and slouching out the door and going well that was a waste of time that's that wasn't fun so you'll have people that you play with whether it's rpgs or board games or anything 
that are trying to get their own kind of fun out of what you're doing. And you have to be sensitive to that. And you have to have, you have to be self-aware of what, what's fun for you. Yeah. And if you're super self-aware, you'll know how to do self-sacrifice, which is what you did in your example, which is you're like, well, I could eat this character if that was fun for me. Right. Right. But was what, what was fun for you was keeping the campaign going and keeping the story going and keeping the energy alive and, and keeping the band playing music instead of saying, I'm going to play this song, whether it breaks up the band or not. Yeah. So those are the two sides of the spectrum. So it's not about fudging being, being good or bad. It's about fudging meeting objectives. Right. Yes. So let me, let me ask you this. <clears throat> Does the system that you are playing um, help dictate that? Uh, so, for example, if I'm playing D&D... Or, ah, here's a better example. If I'm playing Star Wars, mm -hmm. where it's really difficult for a player to die, we've established yeah, this. Yeah, uh -huh. this is right? settled law. <laughs> where we've established this. Versus a game like um, Shadow of the Demon Lord, which can be very, very lethal. Mm -hmm. Or RuneQuest, which right. can be very, very lethal. Right. right? And so... Um, or in the case does... of, of Cthulhu, you're likely to go yes. insane. Yes, exactly. Which and is a different so, kind of player death. Yeah, and so knowing, knowing the type of game that you're playing... Are you more likely to say pull punches in RuneQuest or Cthulhu versus Star Wars? Okay, so I'm gonna answer do, that do you question. See what I'm saying? If you're a game master, yeah, and you say before in session zero or before yep. your next story arc or before your next session, yeah. you should say your characters are not immortal gods. Right, they're gonna take damage, and they're gonna die. And part of what I need to do is create a universe where that's a possibility that's a, that's a clear incredible threat yeah and if you die this is what you will do and you say when your character dies these three consequences happen you get this much xp you have or you have another character in a folder or something like that you're going to yep. keep playing a game we want you to have fun but that that character who exists in fiction is now the end of their story has been found now you got to do that yes. up front because sometimes when you start a new campaign everyone has starry eyed you know ideas of becoming the greatest wizard that um you know forbidden you know realms ever has ever seen they're like wow yeah. I, I can't wait to make this character level 20 he's going to be so amazing well it's really hard as the gm to say well you know i'm probably going to that that would mean you played you know 400 sessions with me there's there's a one in 400 chance that character is going <laughs> right. to going to die Right. That that's the, that's a different kind of conversation. So, if you're around people that are more interested in telling the same story, or they're writing their own fan fiction about their characters, or they're they they pay attention to <laughs> that's this is a normal thing that people do. If they're they're paying attention to all of the the fluff or that's not on the stat block, yeah, that's usually a pretty good indicator that the stat block is only kind of a means to get the game going, to get the character on screen in their, in their brains, which means yep. they're less interested in the rules. The rules create the meaning Abed Nadir version of the game, which is a simulation, which is, Oh, right. Oh, I took a knife wound and now I'm dead that this is how knife wounds work in this game. Therefore I'm dead, whatever. 
Um, the, the, so, yeah. Let's go ahead. So to kind of recap what, what you're saying is in session zero, by you establishing kind of the the social contract yeah. with your players, yeah. right? Which that's exactly what you're doing, right? Is you're saying like, hey, this game is very lethal. That's why you'll always have a backup character mm-hmm. that's at the same level of yours, and we'll work them back into the yep. game somehow, right? They find them in prison somewhere, or you know, they sleeping sleeping on the bench or whatever it is. You have you a know, twin like, sister. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't worry. We'll work you back into the game, but your characters will probably not make it, right? That's a social contract yeah. that you're making with them. And usually the player's like, okay, I get it, right? And, like, I think a big a big fear is, like, what happens when my character dies? Yeah. Does that mean I have to go home? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, you have to dispel all that stuff too. early on. So, so if you make that social con- – what you're saying is if you make that social contract with them, you are now less likely to pull your punches, fudge the dice rolls, do that kind of thing with them in the game because they know that the the, the hurt can be coming for them. Right. Is that what I'm hearing? Or they have an opportunity to express that that's a negative play experience. Right. Yep. You could say, okay. oh, I'm not sure if I want to play this if it's going to be that lethal. Right. Right. Or maybe I shouldn't get emotionally invested in this character if I know I've got her twin sister in this folder that I'll be playing, you know, if the worst of the worst happens. Yeah. And that, so, so, so at least you, you address it early on and you can address yeah. this mid campaign too. You certainly can. At that point right. in time, everybody's a lot more invested in your characters and mid campaign. You should be thinking about what's the biggest thing these characters are going to do in their lives. And how do we kind of bring this campaign? How do we land the plane in, in several sessions? You do yeah. have people who believe they should be playing the same character for 10 years. I know those people. I'm friends yeah, with those right. people. That is yeah. a perfectly adequate way to play these role-playing games. Um, I've never played a character for 10 years. I don't know how that feels. I have folders full of char- characters from 10 years ago. Am I going to pull any of those out and play them? Probably not. Right. Um, but there are people out there, and that's part of the fun for them. They don't want to level up fast. They want to drag it out forever. So I think I think you're touching on what basically is kind of our next question, which is like, and and we've 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 hit on this a little bit, but I I want to just kind of make the point clear. So why do you fudge your dice rolls? Why do you pull your punches? Like like what you know? Give me a definitive answer of why okay. you actually do it. Um, number one is to be nice. If I'm a GM, I do it to be nice. If I'm feeling yeah. nice, and I'm also as a GM trying to have a good session, and I want everybody to have fun. And it's yeah. not fun. For, I've had enough bad sessions to know that I don't want to end any session bad. So I'm not stupid. Right. Right. As right. a player. Oh, here's the deep dark. Everybody hold, hold, hold your beverages. I have nothing against if you have a jerk GM or DM, I don't have anything against players fudging their dice. Oh, uh, nothing at all. If the, GM is being a jerk and not listening and you, you're kind of like, man, I hate this GM. He's just out to get me and he's being ad hominem and he's picking on me. I don't care. If, I don't care if that dice gets tipped, in my opinion. <laughs> That's the exact same thing, right? It's the same thing. It's not, okay. I, I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't advertise it and it's cheating, but fudging, di- what we're talking about is walking away from the con- construct and the confines yeah. and the framework of the rules to have an enjoyable session. 
And if you're getting and, one over yeah. on a jerk GM, it will bring you a little bit of happiness inside. I'm, <laughs> I'm not even joking. That's our that's our vindictive Dan of the day, right? <laughs> and there's 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 GMs that I I would I wouldn't I, I wouldn't blink an eye. I wouldn't it wouldn't it wouldn't bother me one bit. Are we talking about the Star Trek Gen Con experience, Dan? Oh, not even him. I don't even care about that guy. I'm talking about people I still know today. I'm not talking about rando GMs from conventions I'll never see in my life ever again. (laughs) So, um, so I think one point, right? It's like from the D. So you actually give two points. One from the player's perspective, which is, you know, if you are feeling like you're being given the shaft, maybe tilt the dice a little bit. But only against another GM, not against other players. Don't do it to showboat against other players and try to nail that. You'll actually find it's more fun to fail rolls than it is to succeed. I agree with that. I agree yeah. with that. Um, the The other thing is, you said, you know, as a as a DM, you want to be nice, right? Mm-hmm. Like you are, you're, you want to create a good, fun atmosphere so that the characters can feel like they're heroes still without, you know, really punishing them, type of thing. So that's you pull your yeah. Punches. And if you're making gonna... a movie in the head and it's and you're not ready for the scene for all the pathos and death and it would mess up the story, don't mess up the story. Keep the keep yeah. the big picture in in your head. Make this yeah. a good movie, not a good simulation sometimes. That's fun. Uh, the other example I would give is to make it harder. Because sometimes balancing yeah. an encounter is actually kind of tricky. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And it, it, it's hard sometimes because you – I know me personally as a DM – I have a hard time keeping everybody's like combos straight. Everybody's mm-hmm. like little traits or feats that they have going yeah. on, or and they're showboating you know, real fast on you. And you're like, oh. yeah, and so they're like, and they're oh, fudging well, their rolls. Oh. And you're like, yeah, this exactly. <laughs> so all of a sudden, you know, and and look, I've been guilty of this in my D and D campaign. So for those of you that are in my campaign listening, um, I've given some of my monsters like double their hit points. Yeah. Or magically, they have resistance to that type of uh, damage that they're dealing. You know, yeah, because... and Five E has a section <laughs> saying the DM is allowed to do whatever the DM needs to do for a good right, session. Right. Other games don't always have that. Some of them do. Some of them don't. But D and D, it's very explicit. It says in the player's handbook, it says it's the DM's job to make sure everybody has fun, and they can break any rule in any of the books to keep the fun yeah. rolling. And you know, I mean, the the thing is, is it's like. I do it. I I do that because it's like I don't want them to just like skate through the combat. And the interesting thing is, is that I I do the milestone XP right, so it doesn't matter how many monsters they kill in the game for their for their experience. Like that doesn't mean anything to them in this campaign. Not piling up owl owl bears like cordwood. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Oh, I feel like I'm better at doing a thing now because I killed thirty owl bears. Exactly. So, you know, the, uh, but, but at the same time, I'm like, okay, well, they are clearly like, I've got one big baddie, but I've got, you know, five pretty beefy player characters that are just wailing on this guy. Yeah. And they're getting natural 20s and they're hiding and getting double damage. And, you know, they're doing all their little combo tricks. I'm like, you know what? Like, this guy needs to be able to swing back at least once. Yeah. Before before he dies. Well, and, and you know? here's another core principle that the, sometimes the players don't want to be reminded of, that the game has to be fun for the GM, too. It doesn't yeah. mean that a, a total party kill, a TPK, every session is fun for the GM. You have to be pretty sadistic to want to do that. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> do <that. laughs> yeah. Sadistic. 
But, you know, it's fun for me to have them be like, oh, this isn't working out. How, what do we need to do differently? Mm -hmm. And it's fun to see them try to figure out things. That's where I get my enjoyment is really like watching these people try to, you know, what these people, these are my fellow gamers, right? These people. Yeah. Um, these people. Watching, <laughs> yeah, watching them kind of try to figure out like, oh, um, this isn't working. What, what do we need to do differently? How can we approach this differently? Uh, why isn't this guy dying? You know, <laughs> like, yeah. and and kind of having to rethink it, um, just because on the fly, like I'm like, this guy should be dead by now, but um, I need to, I need him to do that. And, the and, other and that, reason that is good, yeah. a good thing to do, especially, not necessarily, but especially if you can link it back to the broader story, mm -hmm. because if you're just doing random encounter tables, you might as well just, you know not fudge anything just say oh this right. is how it went random encounter table womp womp but i don't have time in any of my rpgs to do a random encounter table ever right, right. ever that right. it would be a luxury of a weekly game that i've never been able to play so if you're stretching out if if, if you're only getting together once a month and that four hours really has to count every combat has to count which means it has to link back to story which means the dice should help you do that if the dice are failing you you need to do a GM fiat to to write that ship just a little bit. Or you should do it if you think a, a character that should have had an opportunity to shine has not had that there opportunity. You there you go. Super, super great way to fudge. Just say, oh, well, because of you, everybody won and it felt like you were not contributing, but you didn't actually, yep. you were the hero. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Like I've, um, I've fudged the dice on monsters dying before they should have. You know, yeah. because I'm just like, hey, like this is like I can read the writing on the wall. This guy's gonna die in another two rounds. Like yeah. it's not, it's very clear, right? Like this isn't gonna tip the balance, and we need to kind of move on with the story and our session and stuff like that. And B, like, hey, this guy needs a, a bit of a win. Yeah, you know, so let's give him, give one. him a win. Let's let's give him a win, and he's the one yeah. that ends up defeating the monster, right? And hooray, like everybody's happy. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think I think. The reason why you fudge, the reason why you fudge or pull punches or whatever, is again to create a good time, right? Like that's if you were to boil it down, you're creating a good time, and whether that's you know to not kill a character, whether that's to make the the monsters a little bit harder, whether it's to like let somebody have their moment to shine, you know, it's to it's to have a good time. Yeah, um, you'll notice that it it will matter less what what the what was happening in the mechanics of the game everyone forgets the mechanics and everyone remembers the story the so moment. serve the yeah, story totally. and sometimes character death does serve the story um yep. sometimes as the gm it's important for you to remind characters of mechanical choices they could they could make if they want to make them to get a different outcome actually that's a that's a great way of quote-unquote fudging a little yeah. bit right it's just to like, be hey. like hey i'm the referee but i'm also in your corner but I'm also yeah. I'm also the other boxer, right? Yeah. I'm I'm playing three hats. I'm like, well, you haven't used this one. So I think Jay did it one time. I I was trying to I thought I had a spell to to beat a rock monster, and it was the opposite, right? And he's like, yeah, think about what kind of immunities this thing has. And I was like, oh, <laughs> right. he's shrugging <laughs> off all my damage. Oh, <laughs> I need to do yeah. something yeah. different. And that's yeah. that's in some ways that's better than tipping the dice. That's better than a than waving a rule. That's like, hey, we're going to keep the rules as written. The, this game has a meaning. The construct has a meaning. 
but I know the game a little bit better than you, and I should give you some point pointers that you might want to do. You don't have to. You still have agency, but you might want to do it. So I, I just thought of another way to fudge. Um, you, you kind of brought this. I, I think that that's a great way, right, which is sort of kind of pointing out ideas or, you know, sort of leading them down the path, right? Um, but I thought of another way, which is um, uh, it really falls under the rule of cool. Okay, so a player yeah. says, "I want to, I want to do this," and there is no rule that really would allow them to do yeah. that. But then you say, "Okay, well, tell me what you really want to do, and let's try to figure out a way to do that." And I can't tell you how many times I'm like, "I don't even care if this rule exists. Here's what I want you to roll, yeah, <laughs> to make yeah. it make it make it yeah. happen." And we're gonna go rule of cool with this. Like, I don't care if it's like in the rule book or not. And in fact, I've had some players sometimes be like, well, actually you can't. And I'm like, I don't care. And here's the, well, actually, like... <laughs> here's the well, actually, yeah. usually a player will come up with something that is a talent or an ability or a feature. They'll say, I want to be able to do this. And somebody who knows the rules really well, maybe it's the GM, maybe it's somebody, another player will say, you don't get to do that until you get to level 12 or you have to buy, you had to spend your points on this, but you spent points on that. So you shouldn't be able to do yeah. this. Because you should be able to, because you know, you know, you you can't have, you, you can't eat the same popsicle twice, basically. And in yeah. that moment, the rule of cool is like, as a GM, you have to go like, okay, we are going to do it, but it's going to be different than what the standard. We're going to make a rule up right. on the fly that fits the scenario, and fits exactly what you're trying to do. Instead of saying what you're trying to do is exact, you're not trying to roll a, t a yeah. level twenty spell. You're trying to do something in an interesting way, but you always have to make it a long shot. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which I think, I think this conversation sort of brings us to one of the last points, which is like, how should you fudge it? Right. And, and when we talked about it initially, you said, well, you normally have your DM screen up in front of you when you roll the dice and you're like, that said, 18 yeah and that's when it was really a two you know GM screens i know it's it's a holdover from the 1970s and 80s i have mm -hmm. i'm looking on my shelf at four of them right now i don't actually yeah. have them up i have them off to the side and i like gm screens for the reference tables that are usually on them especially for a game like RuneQuest yeah. or if they were not or, designed uh, by a crazy 40k person. or something yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly yeah. um you know uh but in general i roll my dice in front of the players like i almost never fudge the dice roll um yeah. here's how here's how i fudge it if i don't have a gm screen i'll roll the dice twice like i sort of give myself disadvantage right and yeah. I don't have to do that. And in fact, there's usually not a mechanic for it. But when they see me rolling dice twice, like, what do they know what I'm rolling? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, okay, like I'm doing that or I'll roll something else and be like, okay, this is what I got. And obviously it was the second one. And maybe a player will know that I did that or maybe they won't, you know. Um, another reason to fudge a little bit, and, and I know I keep going back to this, another reason to fudge a little bit is to um, bust up the uh, the meta folks mm. that the like know gamers, all the rules yeah. for the metagamers like to bust them up a little bit yeah. right because they're always keep watching them on their what's toes because they love the game yeah. and they know what's happening and they they're like they can do the play-by-play -play. yep 
Yep. So, but if you if you start <laughs> start messing that up, they're like, wait, I thought they couldn't. You're like, maybe this isn't the monster you're thinking of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe memorizing the monster's <laughs> manual is not as good of use of a time as you thought. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, you know, the thing is, is that you know you can fudge the dice roll between behind this GM screen. You can kind of even fudge the dice roll in front of somebody, but. What we've been talking about, right, which is allowing the rule of cool, which is, um, you know, having your monster pick different targets based on opportunity to maybe keep a player alive. Um, you know, uh, uh, all of these or, different types or, of things you can do without a jam screen. bend a rule to save a player's life, you kind of let yep. them do that. Right. You know, without right. breaking the rule, you'd be like, oh, can I just do this just this one time to save that character's life? I'm like, yeah, that is cool. In our last session, uh, the group split the party, and <laughs> our buddy Mike, he had this brain-sucking crown on his head. <laughs> And the other, the only his memories were like fading away. He's, he stopped remembering how to ride a bike, and you know, like his third birthday party and Just stuff like that. Mom's name. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so he's like, there was this tower that had this anvil with a magic hammer, magic anvil, and it could destroy magic items. Well, he couldn't get the crown off of his head, <laughs> so they had to strike this thing with a crown on his head, right? Which did ten d ten. Or 10d6 damage each blow, right? That's a number I made up, by the way. But I was like, dude, if you're hitting a dude with a magical hammer with his head on the anvil, it's doing some damage, right? So, so and he had high, he had like high uh, hit points. Oh, and so, but he's taken, he's just wailing. So they split the party and there's dudes like that are fighting them as like Mike's trying to hit himself in the head with this hammer, you know, to get this crown off his head. And so it got to a point where uh, our friend Casey was like, um, can I drink a health potion as a bonus action? I'm like, yes, yes, you can. Because they were just getting destroyed, you know? Um, and I'm like, yeah, you can. Yes, you can. This is the I one mean, time. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, you, you, you have that on your belt ready to go. So, yes, yes you can drink it, you know? So, um, you know, to me, like, that's the best way to fudge, right? Like, let it be cool in the moment. Let it, let it happen. And... You know what, like, your players, like, if you do it well enough, like, they don't even think about it. Like, the rules lawyers may be yeah. like, well, actually, but who cares? They're having fun, too. Well, and we, you know? we've given Star Wars a really hard time about not being lethal enough. That's fine. That's that's established canon. But what we don't give it credit for is the triumphant despair mechanic. Oh, yeah, where absolutely. somebody says, well, I want to be able to do such such a thing, and you're like, okay, well, that's, and maybe they get a triumph. And they're like, oh, I got to triumph. And they're like, yes, you get to do this. And now you get to change the story in a good way. Because in that game mechanic, there's kind of a one out of every 12 chance if you're rolling a certain dice that even if you fail a check, you can still do something triumphant. And right. if there's a red dice, there's a one out of 12 chance that despair will happen. And I have manipulated despair so many times to yeah. get what I needed. So let's say I wanted to screw the players later and have a combat encounter that they were trying to avoid. I'm like, oh, well, you rolled a despair. The bad guys know where you are. Or, hey, you rolled a triumph, and now this other magical thing can happen in the narrative. That's yeah. a really good feature of the system that says that is, when, some, when this thing happens on the dice, rules is written, something magical can happen that's not in the standard way we adjudicate how the dice say things should or shouldn't happen. Most games have that kind of like, you know, 
if you roll a 20 on a d20, but you notice with 5e, they really watered down how great a 20 was on skill checks. Yep. And oh, in other games, kind of like, well, you know, if you get double sixes, you get to re-roll them and add it to the 12. I'm like, okay, well, that's okay. And some games do it better yeah. than others, but the, those moments of something extraordinary happening that's cinematic is actually why you don't need to fudge. Right. In those games, you roll the dice right in front of everybody and go, oh, look, it's a despair. Now now something horrible is going to happen to you, and I just get, as GM Fiat, get to make your day a living hell. But hey, the dice rolled it. This is rules is written. Yeah. yeah. And they get the same yep. thing with the triumph. So it can actually be, depending on what you're playing, look at, look at the rules that you're playing in in whatever game, whether it's you know, D and D and whether the GM should be like throwing advantage or disadvantage to people. Look at those opportunities to kind of bend the way if the game gives you kind of a loophole to manipulate, learn where those loopholes are. And you'll say, Hey, look, it's on page 45. It's right. I'm, this is, I'm not, I'm not fudging anything. I'm just doing what's in the book, you know? So I highly recommend learning that as a GM, even if you're new to a system, Look for those kind of cool moment bending uh, loopholes. There, you'll usually find them in a modern RPG. You won't find them yeah. in something from the '80s, but you'll find them in in modern RPGs. Right, right, yeah, for sure, for sure. So, I look, uh, fudging has a negative connotation out there, right? I think because it it connotates cheating, yeah, a little bit. We never said um, that. You, we never said cheating. We never said cheating, and maybe I and, did say that. and uh, well, as you uh, maybe as a player, <laughs> as right? A player. But the as a player, it's a little bit cheating. But the um, as you pointed out in D and D book, it says GM has the arbitrary right to you know, and and by the way, it says this in the Cthulhu book, it says this in the RuneQuest book, it says it in every book, pretty a much, which is that the the GM is the arbiter of what really happens on the table. And um, a good GM will know when, where, and why to fudge things or pull punches or, or do what they're doing. And it's really to create a better experience for everybody. And uh, I would say that um, it's not a black or white thing. If you try to be black or white, like I yeah. never fudge dice rolls or whatever, well, then you're probably going to run into a scenario where your players are going to resent no, you. No, but you shouldn't, you <laughs> you shouldn't be advertising what you're doing. And it's not, that's right. not cheating. It's just, it, that could be your method as the GM to make a good session is to make adjustments in the margins, right? Yep. Nobody needs to know that. It's not like it's a secret. If somebody came after and said, hey, when that thing happened, what really happened there? You can say, oh, well, you know, I used my GM Fiat and I made the world slightly different. It's it's in my bounds. But don't be advertising it. You know, don't yeah. don't be like yeah. sh- showboating. Oh, then it becomes we're, we're not playing. I'm going to say Dungeons and Dragons. We're playing Dan and Justin. You know, we're, right. we're just right at that moment where you make a big deal about it, suddenly you're now in the back backyard playing cops and Roger robbers saying, bang, bang, you're dead. And the other kid says, no, I'm not. So right. you have to avoid that because once, once you break that kind of uh, uh, conceit of getting together of why the rules matter, it's really hard to glue it back together. Yeah. Well, uh, question to the listeners: Did we miss anything? Are we, you know, did are there other ways to pull punches to, you know, basically uh, fudge what you're doing as a GM? Uh, leave us a comment. You know, follow us on Facebook, on Twitter. Leave us a comment. We'd be interested to hear how you uh, 
maybe fudge your sessions for the betterment of your players, or maybe for the worsement of your players, as I like to say. <laughs> uh, so thank you for listening to us tonight. We very much appreciate you guys and all your support that you give. Um, we love that uh, folks are listening to our podcast. I mean, that's always a win. Yeah, thank you for listening. So, yeah, exactly. So uh, until then, we hope to hear from you, and have a good night. Thank you for listening. Good night.